This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Let me just tell you what I basically would like to do today. Um, I want to speak for a little bit. I want to talk to you a little bit about what God has been sharing with me about where we are and where I believe God is wanting to take us. And so it really, it's important because I think it helps us as a body when we're all on the same page and we're heading in the same direction. Um, the other thing is, I want to speak to you a little bit about the implications of that and what it means for us as a ministry, because I'm wanting to make some internal adjustments so that we can accommodate that and that we understand what God's doing and we adjust to accommodate him. We don't get stuck in form. The problem with lots of churches is we get stuck in form. So my father and grandfather and great-great-grandfather always did this, so we always do it. But we've we got to move with God because God is moving. And when God is doing things, we've got to be sensitive to what he's doing and be responsive to it. He, he leads the way. Um, and then finally, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to ordain Nate and Rafa today. So. Okay, so let's get right into things before anybody stones me and get into trouble. It's like, stop wasting time. This is a good weekend and good weather. So... April 10th, next year, I will have been married for 20 years. 20 years. That is a long time. That is every finger and every toe I have. 20 years. 20 years is a long time. A long time. And the funny thing is, I was thinking a little bit about this. The person I am today is a completely different person who came into that union. As a result of that relationship and as a result of having Sarah in my life, it's created changes in me. And I'm very different as a result of that. I can remember the first time I ever saw Sarah was at church, which is a good place to see her. There you go, Rafa. And she was dating some other guy. I mean, she was sitting there and I was like, seriously? Fortunately, she wasn't married to him. I was like, anyway. Anyway, then she started coming and she was alone. And I was like, okay, this, this, is, this has got potential here. But I used to sit with Angela and she didn't know who we were. So Angela's my sister. So she thought we were married. And I was like, no, we, we're not married either. And so things developed from there. But it was the best addition to my life. Because we fell in love, and as a result of that life, that love, we decided that we wanted to form a permanent union. And so the two became one. And when the two became one, there was something that happened spiritually, because in that moment, what happened was Sarah the lady and Gavin the man, the two individuals came together as one, and when they came together as one, something new was born. A wife and a husband. The individual was left behind and the wife and the husband came together. The problem with it was, is that I had no clue what it meant to be a husband. And so in that place, all I did was I took my history and my individuality and I walked into the relationship with it. And the challenge with it was who I was as an individual wasn't equipped to live as a husband. And so I had to leave old things behind and discover what it meant to be a husband. It was good in many ways because there was so much richness and fullness that was added to my life. But there were moments that were tough 
And in those moments that were tough, you have to make a decision about what it is you want to do. And the thing about it is, what's so wonderful about the relationship called marriage, the union of relating to one another, relating ship, relation, is that it keeps you there. With work colleagues and with friendships, you don't have to stay. You can say goodbye. And you can walk out. But you can't do that when the two have become one. Because you're half of the whole. And in half of the whole, there's something that I'm discovering about myself and I'm discovering and I can only realize what that is in the context of her and I together. Relating, relating in that way. So here's the truth. The most authentic reality you will ever encounter is in marriage. It's in relationship. Because you know what? When you get into two becoming one and you step into that reality, you walk into the garden of relating ship. And in that garden, you don't get to wear fig leaves. You can wear your fig leaves with your friends and you can wear your fig leaves with your work colleagues and you can wear your fig leaves with everybody at school and your every... You can't do it in marriage because you know what happens. You're exposed. You're exposed. And there's a vulnerability to it because it's nothing to hide who I am. And the interesting thing about in that garden of relationship is something called accountability. Because I am who I am. And you have to own it. And when you own it, what are you going to do with it? You want to live with it? You want to hold on to it? Or do you want to sit and say, maybe there's something. I can let go of this so I can move into something new. I can embrace husband, being a husband in the true context of what it is. But I've got to leave some stuff behind. When God was chatting to me a little bit about where we're going, the context that he refers to us as, as a born-again believer, is that you're part of the bride of Christ. You're married to him. The reason that he uses that as an analogy and as a reference is because it's the most intimate relationship that you can have. It's in that space where the two become one, where you're going to discover that it's no longer I who lives. And it's no longer I who lives for a reason because the things that are brought into that space, I have to let go of. All things are passed away and everything's becoming brand new. And what's becoming brand new is as a result, as a result of the two becoming one and the influence that he has in that space. God is not interested in teaching you about who he is. He's interested in you encountering who he is. He is a relationship God. That's where God is taking us. If you want to know about God, that's fine. It's, it's a good starting place. If you want to get knowledge about God, it's fine. That's a good starting place. If you want to get understanding about God, that's okay, but you'll never be able to do it without encountering him. Everything leads to an encounter. Everything leads back to relationship because in relationship is when we really get understanding. You don't understand prior to an encounter. You don't understand prior to having a relationship with him. I can tell you about hamburgers as long as you like. If you've never tasted one, you ha may have some information about burgers, but you really don't have an understanding. 
It's when you bite into the burger and you get to taste it and you taste the juices and you taste the meatiness and you taste the textures and you taste all the flavors that come together. Now I understand what a burger is all about. I didn't understand before. I had information. I could tell you it was a bun and it was a patty and it was a, I knew the stuff, but I didn't understand it. I understood it after I tasted it. We can understand God, but you'll never, we can know about God, but you'll never understand God until you've experienced him. Until you've experienced him. The place that he's leading us to and the place that he's taking us is not about information. It's beyond information. And it's not about others' testimonies. It's beyond others' testimonies. And it's not about what you read and what you hear. All of those things are good and wholesome, but all of those things are direction, an invitation to an encounter, an invitation to have a relationship with a living, dynamic God who, if you are born again, lives on the inside of you. The moment that you became born again, everything shifted and changed. The moment that you became born again, the spirit of Christ that walked the earth with Jesus, that laid hands on the sick and they recovered. The spirit of Christ that fed the 5,000. The spirit of Christ that raised Lazarus from the dead. The spirit of Christ that cast out the demons. The, The spirit of Christ came and he lives on the inside of you. He's living there for a reason. He's living there because the two shall become one. The problem with it is, part of the challenge that we've had with the church is that we've invited people to come and get born again. And we've got them born again. We've got them saved. But we never made disciples. Matthew 28, Jesus never said, get people born again. He said, make disciples. What he was saying was, being born again is vital because it opens the door to the spirit of Christ coming and living on the inside of us. But becoming a disciple means how do I live in relationship with the two becoming one? How do I live in that space so that who I am and what I'm all about begins begins to shift and change and I recognize as a result of him moving into that space, everything that I used to be has gone. And now it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It doesn't mean that you are dead. It doesn't mean that you're non-existent. What it means is the source of my life has shifted and changed, and I'm no longer defining who I am. I'm not giving definition to how I feel. I'm not giving definition to what I do. I'm not giving definition to my goals and aspirations. In this space, I've shifted and I've moved, and I've surrendered to him as the source of my life. And in that place where the two become one, I'm living in relating to him. Father, what do you want here? Show me, reveal yourself to me. Every time he takes an aspect of who he is and he opens it up to us and reveals it to us, it comes with the power of influence. The opportunity to shift and change who I am to relating, producing something new, producing something different. One of the best things about spending time and having the opportunity to live in relationship with Sarah was that the two of us were able to create life. The two of us were able to create something that would never have existed without both of us coming together as one. There is a production. There is a creativity that comes in that space of the two becoming one. And we never realize what that is. And we never step into the fullness of what that is until we're able to relate to him. Knowledge is insufficient. 
Knowledge and information is kind of like going into a restaurant and sitting down and reading the menu and really getting excited about all that you could eat and getting up and saying, thanks so much. Looks like you've got a great restaurant. <laughs> so good. It's unfulfilling. We have too many unfulfilled Christians because they know a lot about God. But they've never really reached that place where they've encountered the one who lives inside. We don't live from that place. God is calling us to be relational Christians, to move to the place where we have a reverence, an understanding, a sensitivity to the greater one who lives on the inside of us, the one who defines who we are, who gives direction to our life, who gives impetus, who gives us understanding, the one who opens the eyes of who we are so that we can see life and people and circumstances and situations from his perspective, people who live from the paradigm and the disposition of I'm here to be a transformer in my world. As long as I live from myself, I'd be in trouble because I'm always looking for my environment to feed me. But when I begin to live from him, I'm prepared to sacrifice who I am because there's a greater cause and there's a bigger um, goal at play. So I believe that what God is doing is the invitation he's extending to us as people is to sit and say, I don't want you to be people of information. I want you to be people of relationship. So it starts to create a a responsibility on us, not just to sit here and disseminate information, but we need to be at a place where we sit and say, how do we create environments and spaces that introduce people to relationship? And people who are in relationship, how do we build that relationship? How do we get them to a place so that they're so sensitive to the Holy Spirit on the inside of them and his prompting and his influence that we live in response to the two becoming one? I want you to open your Bible. You don't have to open it. Just make a note. You can read about it yourself because I want to read it out of the Passion. I want to talk about a few things. Colossians chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 26 to 29, and I'm going to read it out of the Passion Version. There is divine mystery, a secret surprise that has been concealed from the world for generations, but now it's being revealed, unfolded, and manifested for every holy believer to experience. There is a mystery. You know what the thing is about a mystery? The mystery is something which we don't understand and don't have the capacity to solve. We can't explain the mystery. What God's saying is this. The invitation that I'm extending to you is this. It is a relationship with me. But the nature of that relationship is a divine mystery. What he's saying is, if you think information is going to get you there, it's not. Because you're going to end up stumped. You're not going to have the information necessary to be able to comprehend it and define it. And you're certainly not going to move into a place where you're going to have the understanding of it. What he's saying is, as a divine mystery, what he's invited us to is for the Holy Spirit to come into that place. And as the Holy Spirit begins to unfold who he is to us and to invite us into a relationship to experience who he is, it's in the encounter that we begin to all of a sudden have an appreciation and an understanding for who he is and what he's all about. And in that space, the mystery is revealed to us. We are called to be spiritual people, not natural people. We live in the natural realm. But we're spirit at our core. 
So it's developing that spiritual sensitivity. And so I recognize and I'm able to define who I am as a spiritual entity rather than just living from my brain, which is natural stuff all the time. So there's a divine mystery. And it's being revealed, unfolded, and manifested for every holy believer to experience. If you're a born-again person today, God is on the inside of you. The Spirit of Christ is on the inside of you. The I am that I am is on the inside of you. The anointed one and his anointing is on the inside of you. What he's saying is this, I don't want to be contained. I don't want to be limited. I don't want to be one of those people who, I don't want to be in one of those bodies with those Christians who sit and say, I'm born again, but there's no expression of it. I'm looking for opportunities to get out. If there's one thing the world needs now is Jesus. The world doesn't need you to go and preach to them. We come across as being judgmental. Because we want to tell everybody what's right and what's wrong. But when Jesus walked the earth, he didn't live from judgment. He lived from love. The thing is, when you live from love and you reveal God's love for people, and the fact that no matter where you are, and it doesn't matter what you're going through right now, God will meet you in that space. And in that space, you'll be so overrun, overrun by his love. You'll, you'll want to be in love with him. You'll move to a place that sits and says, you know what? I felt so much for who he is and, and the compassion and the love and the goodness that he feels towards me. And it's like, I, I want to make some changes. I don't want to live the way that I used to live. I, I want more of what this is all about. And sometimes you can't always articulate that because it's spiritual. It touches some things that are so fundamental in us. I just know it. Don't lean to your own understanding. What it means is don't go to your brain and try and comprehend what's happening on the inside of us. Just follow the invitation. Go with the invitation. Go with where he takes you. Even if you can't understand it, you know that it's right. And when you know that it's right, you go with the prompting because it leads you to life. We're to be relational Christians. Relational. I learned this stuff from Rafa. He's so much better at me with relationship. It's like we were joking about this yesterday. But it's like, I can't bear going shopping with Rafa. <laughs> I really, it's, it's, it's like, I have to take a deep breath. Because everywhere we go, Rafa loves everybody. And I'm like, Rafa, we're not here to love people, Rafa. I just want to buy the two by four, okay? <laughs> and we get to pay for the two by four. And Rafa's like, hi, how are you today? You look so pretty. And he's, Rafa, just pay for it. Let's pay and go. And Rafa's like, hey, how are you? And, and they, you know, nobody opens up to me. But then they sit and they start talking to Rafa and it's like, oh, and, and then, then he, he, Rafa makes everybody cry. <laughs> he tells them how much he loves them and how pretty they look and how nice they are. And then they start crying. And I'm like, I just want to pay for the two by four. <laughs> just, I'm, I just want my piece of wood. And they're like, oh, my life's so terrible. And Rafa's like, well, if you just come in the back and we're going to go and pray. And I'm like, Rafa, <laughs> JR's waiting for us. Let's. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> The point that I'm making is this. There's something that fundamentally happens and changes on the inside of you when you allow the relationship and who he is to come into that place and flood it. And what ends up happening is you live from the same paradigm as he does. And suddenly you're motivated by things called compassion. It's like good grief. And it shifts your life out of function. 
And it moves you into places of goodness and mercy. And you begin to realize, goodness me, I'm missing the big picture. Because I'm so stuck on getting it done that I forgot about the person. So relationship, he's unfolding it to us. When we do things like that, and people encounter the truth of who's inside of us, that's what touches and changes them. People don't cry when Ruff is around because he makes them sad. But when you carry the presence and you just let it bleed out, the presence touches people. And sometimes they don't even know what it is. It's just they feel such a, an awareness of stuff. And it becomes overwhelming. And in that place you begin to recognize, I'm just a carrier. I'm just a carrier. Living within you is the Christ. Living within you is the Christ. Living within you is the Christ. If we leave here today with one revelation, let it be that. When you're aware of what is residing on the inside of you, the creator of the universe has made his home in you and is inviting you to redefine your life, your identity, and how you live as a result of the two becoming one. He's inviting us into encounters. Bible's full of them. I've got a brother-in-law, and he had an encounter with God recently. And it knocked him off his feet. Turned his life upside down. And he's so alive with it. It's like I'm aware of the fact that God's, and God's introducing him to things all the time and showing him things about where he's been and where he is and what it's about. And he, it's, it's alive and it's dynamic. Why? Because he's not consumed with information. He's not consumed with doctrine. He's not overwhelmed by memorizing verses because he's met the person. When you meet the person, you will know it. If you have to ask whether I've met him or not, you haven't. If you have to ask, you haven't met him. Because when you do, nothing stays the same. Nothing stays the same. Saul was on his journey. Saul was more knowledgeable than anybody. He knew everything. And the funny thing is, of all the information and everything that he knew about God, he was acting in opposition to what God was doing. He's killing the people of God. And he thought he was doing the right thing. But he has an encounter and he meets God. 
And the most important thing about that entire story was this. He looked at everything that he knew, everything that he understood, every doctrine that he held to, and he looked at it and he said, you know what? What a load of rubbish. You know what? I've met the person. I've met the person. And when he met the person, he, his, what consumed his life from that point onwards is to know him and the power of his resurrection. Not to know about him, but to know him. I met him on the road. And because I met him on the road, it's like I can live from that place where the two of us relate. It doesn't mean that the word's not consequential. It's completely consequential. It's a living advertisement for who he is, but it's an invitation to an encounter. And if you don't have the encounter, all you have is the book. You have to have the encounter. We serve a living God, a dynamic God. We live a God that is inside of who we are. Living from that place is fundamental to, I believe, where God is going with the church, particularly in America. I think there was something else I was going to say about that, but I can't remember what it was. So it couldn't have been that important. Living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. The expectation of glory, this mystery of Christ embedded within us, becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for his people. And God wants everyone to know it. We spoke last week about what is God's glory. God's glory is about who he is. And God says, you know what? The way that I want for you to know who I am is I would, I'm looking for people who sit and say, show me your glory. The paraphrased modern version of show me your glory is this. Let me know you. Let, who are you? And we spoke about the importance that God doesn't have power for power's sake. The reason that God has power is because it's a tool to take who I am and to take parts and aspects of who I am and to introduce it into your life. And when you are introduced to who he is and it changes your life, I've just encountered him. He is love in its fullness and its, and, and its wholeness. And every time I go to him, every time I meet the Jehovah Jireh, my provider, what does it mean to experience Jehovah Jireh in my life? What does it mean to move into the place where I encounter El Shaddai, God the Almighty? What happens when that comes in and touches and changes me? What happens when you go and you, move, you, you meet Jehovah Rapha, my healer? We've raised a generation of people that are busy searching for their healing as opposed to trying to connect with the healer. The point of it is the healer is always there. The woman with the issue of blood, she was motivated by faith. Jesus said that. But she didn't run off and sit and say, God's going to heal me. What did she do? Because she had heard and because she was so aware of the fact that God loved her so very much that he wanted to display his love and his goodness and his compassion to her. She said, I've got to find him. Because when I find him and I touch him, something happens. Faith is to send us on a, a journey to go and pursue him. Not to run off independently to sit and say, God, send down something from heaven that fulfills my faith. It's to move into that space where I know who he is and I move in to touch him. Because when I 
meet the healer, when I connect with his healing presence, healing comes. Why? Because that's who he is. Power goes with who he is. It's the way that he takes who I am and transfers it to you. He doesn't talk about it. He doesn't want you to know about his healing. He wants you to experience his healing. God wants to demonstrate who he is to us. He doesn't want us filled with information. Why? Because when you experience who he is, it touches you, it transforms you, it changes you in many different ways, and everyone will know. I become a living testimony when I encounter his presence. Christ is our message. We preach to awaken hearts and bring every person into the full understanding of truth. A full understanding of truth. What the full understanding of truth means is this. It goes beyond information into an encounter. It moves to that place where I recognize the fact that he is alive because he touched me. When I move to that place where all things in that space are passed away and everything becomes brand new, I've encountered him. It's more than knowing. It's about experiencing. Why is it important? Because God wants us to pursue who he is. He wants us to be hungry for what he's all about. And he wants us to be in search of that. And when we meet him, what ends up happening is we touch him. And his power brings about change and transformation. That's why the word says that your faith should be in his power, not in his, the knowledge of who he is. What is it saying? Your faith is directing you to an encounter, not to understanding, not to information. Let me give you that reference. I can't remember what it is. 1 Corinthians 2.5, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The power of God, the power of transformation. It has become my inspiration and passion in ministry to labor with a tireless intensity, with his power flowing through me, to present to every believer the revelation of being his perfect one in Jesus Christ. What's your passion today? What's your passion when you encounter him, it'll ignite your passion. It'll ignite your passion. It's in that space that we become a new creation. And the journey begins. And as we begin to live in relationship with him, what ends up happening is the invitation that he always extends to us is to sit and say, you know what? Now that you're seeing parts of what you're about and what's happening here, would you like to take a part of who I am and to overlay that, to put it into that space so that it comes in and makes it brand new and you can live from an aspect of who I am? And so the gist of what I think is important and the place that I believe living faith needs to be positioned is this. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. The living 
presence of Christ residing on the inside of me becomes my opportunity to move into a relationship with him, to begin to relate to him in a practical sense every day so that I allow who he is to come in and to flood my life with his love and with his power and with his goodness and with his mercy and with his compassion and to bring about transformation so that I begin to step into the fullness of what it means to be conformed to his image. He who began a a good work in you is going to be faithful to fulfill it. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So that's the place that I believe we're going to. And so the, the, the important key is this. Our focus is Christ in me. And we'll make sure that everybody who comes in here has the opportunity to move to that place where Christ gets to move in and take up residency in people. That is the doorway to everything. And so our pursuit is not information. Our pursuit is relationship. We want to be able to relate to who he is. And in that relationship and in the intimacy of that relationship, we'll be introduced to power, understanding, and transformation. So there are a couple of things that I want to do as a result of that in restructuring living faith. The one thing that I want to do is this. Um, We've been doing it for a while, but I want to highlight it and promote it and put more emphasis on it. Pre-service prayer. Pre-service prayer. What time does it start now? 9.15. 9.15. So I would invite you to come and become a part of that. Pre-service prayer is important because what we're doing is we are starting to establish There are two things that are important for me about that. Number one, we're starting to establish the atmosphere. We're creating a spiritual environment where we invite the Holy Spirit to come in and to move into the space. The reason it's important is because where the presence is, is potential exists. Anytime the presence moves in, things can happen. If there's no presence, all we have is a nice sermon. So we don't want nice sermons. We'd far rather have the presence. The other thing is this, we serve a living God, which means he speaks. And so in that space, there is a time to also be quiet and let him speak a little bit. Because he may sit and say to you, you know what, I want to tell you something. Today, this is the person who's going to come in here and you'll see them because they're going to be wearing this. And this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to say. God never would do that. Yes, he would. Why do we imagine that God is not specific about things? Just because he loves people. And he wants to use you to do something in that space. So pre-service prayer becomes really important. And I would encourage you to come into that space and, and to be a part of that. Please don't pray for other stuff. Okay. This is not prayer for the nation. We have prayer for the nation, that's separate. This is specifically prayer for the service. And in that space, if God highlights something and he's like, you know what? I want to touch you in this place. I want to heal your body. Things will happen in that place. And it should. Because where the presence is, things happen. That's okay. 
All I'm saying is, let's keep the focus of what that is about is we're going into a time right now where we want to meet God. And in that space, we, there is a humility, a reverence, and an invitation for the Holy Spirit to have his way in this place. The other thing that I want to upweight and put a lot of emphasis on is worship. We spoke last week about the fact that it says that God inhabits the praises of his people. The reason that he inhabits the praises of his people is because worship is a spiritual exercise. It's something spiritual that we're doing. We're not singing nice songs. But in that place, there's an opportunity to cut yourself off from the world. Close your eyes. Move away. Where, and it becomes a spiritual opportunity to sit and say, you know what? In this space, let me go to a place where I can connect with who you are. Use your spiritual eyes, your imagination, to be able to connect with him. And in that space, what you do is you move to a place where you begin to recognize and see who he is. And worship is an honor and, and a reverence, an esteeming of who he is. And as we begin to do that, what ends up happening is the presence moved into that place because it's a way of opening the door to sit and say, you know what, we, we elevate you. So that becomes really important. The other thing I want to do is um, we're going to make sure that we have more than sufficient ministry time. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about this. We have to have that, and it's important, because I want the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to move in the place and for the Holy Spirit to be able to do what he wants to do. So he'll direct it, and he'll give definition to it, and it's going to move from one to the other. There's no formula. But the caveat to that is this. I want to be careful because I don't want to continue establishing a culture where people don't realize the fact that Christ is in you. Christ is in you, which means he will meet you where you are. You don't have to wait till Sunday. You don't have to come up for somebody to pray for you. He is there. He is with you. And what's more important for me than Please just hear this because it's, I, I want people to come for ministry. But what's more important for me is this. When we're able to establish and build up a whole generation of people who know how to connect with God on the inside of where they are. And they're able to get connected with the healer or the provider or the deliverer on the inside of who they are. And they're able to walk into that space because of who they are and they recognize the fact that relationally they can connect with him. That's more important for me because it starts to generate and, and to produce a new generation of people. We're not looking for the superstar, God's man of the hour. We recognize that God is on the inside of us. And so we begin to live from that place because when it changes me, I can take it and introduce it to other people. So we want that because that's how we touch and affect our world. Um, I'm going to do away with... Um, the midweek service or so. What I mean by that is this. I'm going to change it, the nature of what it's all about. And the reason I'm going to do that is, I'll explain to you now, a few things. Number one, we don't live in a kind of culture where lots of people like to commit to something for the rest of their lives. It doesn't matter what it is. Home sells all the rest. Watch what happens. People come and, and they'll stay for a period of time and some stay longer than others, but invariably it just peters out. Why? Because I don't want to do that forever. And that's not a bad thing. It's just part of culture and what it's all about. The other thing is that it also, some people can't go if you do it one night. 
It's like, okay, I can't do it on that evening because I'm doing something else. So what I want to do is I want to take it and I want to kind of explode the whole thing in different ways. One of the key drivers is going to be this. It's not about information. It's about relationship development. Relationship development. Everything we do will be about that. So what it means is rather than just doing teachings and information, we're going to do workshops, which means you're going to participate in it gives you opportunities to encounter certain things. You want to hear the voice of God? We're not going to give you three points in a poem as to how you need to hear the voice of God. You're going to come into that place and we're going to speak a little bit about it, give you some direction from the word, and then we're going to create opportunities for you and exercises that you can begin to experience that and practice it. We want to get people who engage in that space. It's not to say that we're not going to do teaching. You have to have teaching. There's a reason that God put, you know, teaching in the body. The thing about it is teaching without relationship is just one side of the coin. So we've got to have both. So when it comes to teaching, I want to have activated teaching, which means, number one, spiritual insights. I don't want to just sit and regurgitate the word of God. People can read that for themselves. What did the Holy Spirit give you that is a spiritual insight that when you communicate that to somebody else, he can take that as, as a seed and put it in somebody's life and do something with it? I want spiritual insights. And it's going to come with homework or exercises. Why? Because we're becoming relational. We're no longer just going to sit and listen to stuff. This is for all the people at the beach. Don't mention it. We're not going to just, we can't just sit at the beach and listen to a nice sermon and then sit there with our lotion on. What we want to do is, it's there for a reason. And if I get one thing out of it, take it and do something with it. How is it affecting your life? How is it introducing you to a new aspect of who he is? How is it making your relationship with him bigger and stronger and more robust? And so what we're going to do is, we're going to have different workshops, exercises, all the rest of it that happen at different times. And some of them may be a once-off thing. Some of them may happen three days in succession, and some of them may be, I don't know, four to six weeks, and it'll be every Thursday or Tuesday or whatever. So at the back, right at the moment, that is going to be the space where you're able to sign up for different things. And so what we're going to do is we will promote what's happening, and you'll be able to go and have a look at it and sit and say, you know what? I want to know about the power of worship. Because I hear so much about it, but I've never really experienced it. And so when you go to the workshop on the power of, wor of worship, what they're going to do is speak to you about what worship is all about, why it's important, and then introduce you to an opportunity to encounter that. And so when you move into that space, what I want is for you to leave that workshop, for you to leave that session, to sit and say, I know how to worship. I can't wait for Sunday because you know what? I met God in that space and now I recognize and I see what it is. That's meaningful Christianity. Wow, so <laughs> Engaging with God. I don't understand why my prayer life is just so hollow. I tell God all the things I need and what I want and how he needs to protect me, but nothing really happens so because I've never met him in that place. Engaging with God is all about discovering who he is through dialogue with him. And when I'm able to meet him in that place and I allow him to influence me in that space, all of a sudden my prayer life becomes so much richer and so much more profound and so much more powerful because all of a sudden I'm moving to a place where it's not just me telling God what I want and asking him to bless me, but I'm meeting with him and I'm allowing him to give direction to things. And as I'm being obedient to him and I'm walking it out in my life, I'm looking for his hand of blessing in that.
You're going to get exercises. So all of those things, and they will happen at different times. And so I invite you to go and have a look at those things and do the things that are good for you. And you know what's wonderful about that? You're going to meet some people in there. And you're going to be like, I saw you at church. I've seen you for ages and I've never had a chance to meet you. And they're going to be like, oh, hi. (laughs) But you're going to get to meet people. And you know, we get to build relationships in that way. Relationships are important. I want to change the offering. I want to revamp it a little bit because I think what I want to do is I want to introduce to us the reality and the truth and the experiential vitality of what it means to live from God as my provider. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He is my storehouse. And in that place, what he does is he sits and says, you know what? I have a way in my economy as to how blessing works. And when we discover how his blessing works and his mechanism for blessing, and we're able to partner with it, what ends up happening is we move to a place where he is able to move into that space and do some stuff in our lives. Sometimes we think that me giving to God is he means he owes me something. I gave to you, now you, now you owe me something. But God doesn't owe us anything. Actually, funnily enough, I believe this. Part of the reason that you tithe, probably the biggest part of the reason you tithe is for you, not for God. I'll tell you why. Because he says, if you can't do it with a joyful heart, hold on to your money. You know what he's saying? It's kind of like when you go into the hospital. If you go into the hospital, you know, they put you on one of those monitoring devices so they can watch your heartbeat and they can see what's happening. And blah, blah, blah. Tithing is like that. It's a, it's a continual monitor of where is your heart. Because if I can give to him with a joyful heart that says, Father, I want you to tell you, you know what? You are so good to me. You've blessed me in so many ways. The very fact that I can bring something of my substance, just as a, an offering of appreciation for who you are, to say a big thank you to you, it shows me where my heart is. I trust you because you are my provider. And no matter where I am right now, I'm in a space where I'm just looking to you in giving me direction, opening opportunities, blessing everything I put my hand to. Why? Because my heart is right. If I get to the place where I have to get something in, but no, just, open hand, open, let go of it. It says to me something about my heart. And the, the opportunity in that space is to sit and say, why is it hard for me? Why am I so resistant to it? And for me to go and explore that, you get together with the Holy Spirit. It's just about you and Him. Everything's about your relationship with Him, not me. I thought there was something else I was going to do, but maybe not. What I want to do now is I want to invite Nate and Megan and Rafa and Jackie to come up here. When we move into, mm, everybody needs to, okay, you stand here like this, and Rafa and Jackie, you stand over here so everybody can see your handsome faces. See, I told you, I can't get away with it. It's embarrassing. 
In order to move into where we're going, it's important that we have the right support structure in place. And what I mean by that is I'm talking pastoral. I think people who come... <laughs> what's great about Rafa and Nate is that both of them, their life experience with God comes from relationship. It's not a blunt knowledge and information about stuff. If there's one thing that I applaud and celebrate about both of them is their sincerity, their hunger, and their pursuit of relationship and intimacy with him. Both of them live from that place. Over the last few years, we've had the opportunity to see them grow in, their, in that relationship. And it's so exciting for me to listen to the last few months of so when they were preaching because what they brought was revelation, not information. They had spent time with God and God had done some stuff inside of them and shown them some stuff about who he was and what he, what he was about. And they, that brought about change in who they were. And for them to bring that as an offering is what's so rich. It's important for where we're going that we're able to model for people what it is that God wants for us. And so we have to have people who are relational, spiritually relational, people who are grounded and rooted in what God is all about and people who have the hunger to allow him to have influence in their lives. Both of these men do that. I learn from them all the time with regularity. There are sometimes some challenging aspects of being a pastor. But one of the most wonderful things about being a pastor is you get the privilege of spending time with people like this. What I love about both of them is their hearts of compassion. They have such a, a sensitivity to the things of God and to God's desire both for people and for every environment that they walk into. This is not something that they do on Sundays. This is an extension of their life. It's an extension of who they are. I wanted to read um, a couple of things to you. I'm firstly going to read 1 Corinthians 2 verses 3 to 5. I was with you in weakness, this is Paul, in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The encouragement that I want to speak over both of you right now is this. God will give you wisdom. And God will give you insight. God will give you knowledge. God will give you understanding. And those are wonderful things. And take those things and allow them to touch and influence who you are, your relationship with him, and continue to grow in those things. But remember, all of those things stem from 
the intimacy of relationship that you have with his spirit. His spirit is preeminent in everything. And as we move into the future, what becomes so important is to be able to take the spirit of who he is and in every situation be able to introduce that. That's where the power is. That's where the transformation is. He'll tell you how to do it. But it doesn't always mean that you have to take a donkey choker Bible with you. Sometimes it might be something really simple. Giving hugs. I don't know anybody who hugs people and they end up crying, like Rafa. It's like, <laughs> why are you crying? He's giving you a hug. Nate is such a heart for worship. He's such a worshiper. And you'll find him in that space when you least expect it. You walk into places and you think you're alone and there he is with God in worship. Be men of courage. The world has a lot to say about stuff. And there are a lot of loud voices nowadays. Always hold to truth. And have the wisdom and the guidance to introduce truth into people's lives and into situations with love and compassion and see what he can do. 1 Timothy verse, uh, 3 verses 1 to 7. It talks about the office of the overseer. It's talking about a pastor. And what it's saying is these are the qualifications that are needed if you want to be a pastor. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of pastor, it is a fine work he desires to do. So good job. You made a good decision. It's a fine work you've chosen. A pastor then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, skillful in teaching, not overindulging in wine, not a bully, but gentle, not contentious, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God and not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil? And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into disgrace and the snare of the devil. I want to invite the pastors up because um, I'd like to lay hands on them and pray over them. Whenever you're ready. <laughs> it is a privilege to have both of you join the pastoral staff. We've had the opportunity to look at your lives and watch your lives, to see what you're about, to see your love and your hunger for God. And I want you to know that we are fully committed to you and we will do everything in our power to create a fertile environment for you to realize the fullness of what God has for both of you. We're going to play blessing over you, wisdom, and anointing. When we talk about being 
ordained. It talks about being set apart for a purpose. Set apart for a purpose. You're being set apart for a purpose today. And the purpose is so much bigger than yourselves. We have the privilege to partner with God in the things that he wants to do. So I don't know what things he's going to do through you, but I will tell you it'll be profound. He always does stuff so much bigger than we are. So as big as you can imagine, that's just the limitation of who we are. That's kind of where he takes over and takes us over and above. Could you just come a little bit closer together? Because I don't, my hands are not that long. I'm a small guy. <laughs> Father, I just want to thank you for Nate and for Rafa. I want to thank you for setting them apart. I want to thank you for the life that they've lived. And I want to thank you, Holy Spirit, that you were with them all of that way, leading to the point of encounter with you. I thank you for your life that's been infused into both of them and how they've both surrendered to that and allowed you to have influence in their lives, bringing change and transformation to them. I want to thank you that you've been setting them up as effective tools to be used by you for the kingdom. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you just anoint both of them. I pray for a supernatural anointing over them right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you introduce them to the strength of living from the greater one on the inside of them. I want to thank you that as they live from that place, everywhere they go, every place on which they put their foot in, it, you've given it to them. I want to thank you. Everything that they lay their hand to shall prosper. I want to thank you, Father, that your anointing and your direction will go with them. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you fill them to overflowing. And so that as they move out into spaces and as they begin to experience your directing in circumstances and situations, they live in the expectation of experiencing you moving through them. Containers of the Great One. I bless you for them right now. I thank you for your protection over them. I thank you for your guidance. And I want to thank you that the greater one overwhelms, consumes, and has preeminence in both of them. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Mm. Does anybody want to pray? I just want to speak one thing. Mm. Can you give me a microphone? As, as uh, Pastor was talking, and I was thinking about the two of you, God spoke to me something. He says, I want them to grow with each other and grow together. No competition, no jealousy. Because what's coming down the road, you two are going to need each other more than you know now. So he's going to have, there's things that are going to happen that you're not going to understand. And there's things that have happened to all of us that we don't understand. But he's called you two together. And you're going to see miraculous, powerful things happen in your lives. But you're, a, you're, a, you're two men. And the representation of two men together, growing together, not competing together, will influence the entire body of Christ and will influence a lot of men, a lot of men. Thank you, Father. Mm.
I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to remind you that you're stepping into a spiritual legacy. And it is a strong spiritual legacy. In your legacy, you have every pastor here. You have Pastor Barry. You have Kenneth Hagan. You have Kenneth Copeland. You have all the great men and women of God, Ruth Heflin, people who have spoken in this house, Mark Sharona. That is your spiritual legacy. And for you to allow your spiritual legacy to walk you into the places that the Lord has for you. You don't have to fight to walk into places. You literally just have to allow the Holy Spirit to open the doors that your spiritual legacy has a right to. In addition to being seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, you have this this spiritual legacy that you can count on that goes before you and that makes a way. We saw this a long time ago, though, didn't we? When you were babies. And here you are. And so many here have witnessed your growth. And you've touched lives already along the way. As a teenager, God spotlighted you. And here you are today, no surprise to any of us. But the official, the witnesses of the public, and by your senior pastor, seeing you ordained, now it's really time for you to step into it. He's so pleased, and it's now official. Even though you've been operating in it for years and years, it is now official. And we bless you, and we're excited. We're so excited, and we love you. <laughs> okay. Yes, sir. Abel? Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to present to you Pastor Nate, Pastor Abel. Abel, Rafa, and the Pastor Abel. I would invite you now um, to come and join us in the coffee shop. Come and uh, get something to drink and cake, right? Yes. Cake. Who doesn't like cake? And take some time to touch base with both Nate and Rafa and put something into their lives. But because there's so many of you, just try and do it in like 20 seconds if you could. (laughs) A minute each is going to be a long day. Father, I just want to thank you for everybody who's here today. I want to thank you for taking the time to be here. And I want to thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing in our lives. I I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll make yourself more robust and aware to us than ever before. I want to thank you for your life that's resident on the inside of us and the invitation that you extend to us to walk out of relationship with you. Teach us how to hear your voice, how to recognize your influence and your prompting in our lives. And I pray that as we begin to walk that out in our lives and in our everyday experiences, I want to thank you that we open up opportunities for you to leak out of us and touch our world. I thank you for it right now. In Jesus' name, amen.